Please turn with me to Exodus 12, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us. Lord Jesus, my heart's desire, my aim today would be that we would see you in this text and see you in the Lord's table as we celebrate it today. That cannot happen unless you, by your Spirit, make it happen. We can have all of the best elements, we can do our very best, but unless you fill it, it will be empty. And oh God, I pray today this would not be an empty Sunday. I pray that today you might um, awaken the hearts of those who know you to a deeper and more um, robust understanding of what it means to follow you and to love you. And, And then Lord, for those today who are still searching and seeking, thank you that they've come today. And I pray that today would be a day... Today would be the day when they would declare their allegiance to you and move from darkness to light. Darkness to light, from death to life. So come now, Holy Spirit, help me. Help us to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the purpose of a memorial is twofold. In the first case, the reason you have a memorial is because something life-transforming or life-defining has happened. And whether it's at a global scale, a national scale, or at a personal scale, you have a memorial in order to mark it because you know that from this point forward, everything's going to be different. The other reason you have a memorial is because you never want to forget. And in subsequent generations, you wouldn't want kids growing up and not realizing the importance of a moment. Or maybe you want others to know that something significant has happened, and so you mark it with a memorial. You might think of a a wedding band as a memorial, if you will. For me, and for you who are married, it it marked a life-defining moment. Everything changed after that. 
In fact, uh, this summer I lost my wedding band. I was tubing with the boys and um, on a lake and they were being aggressive and I was attempting to be aggressive back and I lost not only my ring but also my pride as my kids threw me off of a tube three times in a row. But that's another sermon. I, I lost my wedding band and so for about two weeks I went without it and it was, sort of was a weird feeling Plus, I received some emails from people in our church asking me why I took my wedding band off. So it's like, back off. I'm shopping, all right? I'm shopping, just looking for a good price. So I told my wife, hey, babe, we got to go out and we got to get this thing fixed like right now because people are noticing. And so it's, it's a memorial, though. It's a marker. It indicates that, that everything has changed, and that's what memorials do. If you think of it in terms of biblical history and biblical literature, there are events in Israel's life and life events in the life of the church that you could define as historical redemptive events. They're memorials. They're, they're historic in that they happened at a particular point in time, but they're redemptive in the sense that they tell us something about what God is doing. And when you put them all together, these historical redemptive events, these memorials help us to really realize how life-defining those events really are and also help us to remember really what the core message of the Bible is all about. And today we're going to look at one of those memorial sort of events. We've come to the text now that we are going to deal specifically with the Passover. And we're seeing how God delivers his people. And specifically today, that God delivers through the Passover. And then we're also going to connect it to the Lord's table in the New Testament. For us to be able to see these glorious memorials. God's deliverance by passing over the people of Israel through the sacrifice of a lamb became a life-defining moment. For the rest of their lives, they would be marked as a people whom God rescued by passing over them. It would define their relationship with God. It would define their relationship with one another. And for that matter, it becomes the foundation upon which the New Testament concept of redemption is based. It becomes the basis of what we're going to celebrate today in the Lord's Supper. And what we do in the Lord's Supper, as well as what happened in the Passover meal, was we interact, we engage by reenacting. We, we, we take the cup and we take the bread in the same way that previous generations took the Passover meal, and this memorial is actually a reenactment of what happened. So in many respects, we're remembering by reenacting what took place. And so this morning, we're going to look at the narrative as it relates to the Passover event and also see some connections, actually 10 of them, as it relates to the Lord's Supper. And I I hope that when we come to the Lord's table at the end of the service that your heart will just be so ready to enter in together into this beautiful meal where we reenact the meal that Jesus gave to his disciples that pictures the most important, most life-defining moment in any person's life. It relates to what it means to come to faith in Jesus. And if you've not come to faith in Jesus, I hope today that when we get done, you, you, t- today, today that you'll become a Christian. So there's ten things that I want to show you, ten redemptive characteristics of the Passover that also connect to the Lord's Supper. So here they are. The first one is this, that the Passover meal was a life-defining event. Look at... Chapter 12 and verse 1. It begins this way. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, 
This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So notice, and, and take note of that, that from this point forward, Israel's calendar would fundamentally change. Now their calendar year would begin with the Passover event. Why? Because this event changed them that much. This became the hallmark moment where the people of God now were rescued out of Egypt and God passed over them. It became the mark upon their lives forever. When they go to Mount Sinai and receive the law of God, the preamble to the Ten Commandments will say something like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So the preamble is predicated on this this idea of Passover. And as a result, the nation of Israel would begin their year anew with this idea of being passed over. So in many respects, the Passover was a, a rebirth, if you will, of the nation of Israel. They were going to be delivered out of Egypt. God was going to pass over them. A lamb was going to be sacrificed. And this moment would mark them forever. It would become a moment that would become defining for them as a people. It's no wonder that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ then takes place around the time of the Passover. The parallels are divinely designed. It's not by mistake that Jesus even took the Passover meal and turned it into the memorial meal that we now know as the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 captures the essence of this meal when he writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we find in the Apostle Paul's explanation of the Passover now become the Lord's Supper as well. What we find is Jesus celebrates the Passover and turns it into the Lord's Supper is that This meal is as equally life-defining as the Passover meal was for the Israelites. Because the death of Jesus Christ creates the possibility of deliverance from slavery to sin. And this deliverance and this freedom and this mark that you're a redeemed person now becomes the most defining and transformative moment of your entire life. For the rest of your life after you've come to Christ, everything else is immaterial. Oh, it's important, but it's not as important as this. That at the end of the day, what you are in Christ is you are a person who has been delivered from condemnation and judgment. You were once a slave to sin, and now you are free. You once were filled with guilt, and now you are completely forgiven. You once were an enemy of God, and now you are his friend. You are fundamentally different from that point forward. It's a remarkable thing. It is life-defining. And that relationship with Christ transforms everything. It transforms your relationships with others. It transforms marriage. It transforms how you handle parenting. It transforms how you handle money. It transforms how you view sexuality. It transforms how you work. It transforms how you sleep. It defines everything. And therefore, when we come to this meal, you are coming to the celebration that defines your life more than anything else in the world if you know Christ. 
The Passover was life-defining. Secondly, the Passover involved a sacrificial lamb. Look at verses 3 and 3 to 6. We learn that on the tenth day of the month, a lamb for, from each household was to be selected for sacrifice. If the household was too small for the full consumption of the lamb, we'll talk about this more later, then you were to gather with others and, and share the sacrifice with a neighbor. The point is this, that every home, every household was to be represented by a lamb. The lamb had to be special. Had to be a male, had to be without blemish, had to be a year old. The people were required to give God the best, not the worst, not a lame sacrifice. And then on the 14th day of the month, the lamb from every household was to be killed at twilight. And this lamb and its sacrifice became the central feature and became the central symbol for the Passover meal. The sacrifice of this lamb would result in both deliverance out of Egypt and protection from judgment. So everything centers around this sacrificial lamb. And for the rest of Israel's history, the idea of being delivered through the sacrifice of a lamb would be a central defining mark of their understanding of God. Every morning and every night when the tabernacle is set up and when the temple is established, a lamb would be sacrificed. Lambs being sacrificed as a part of the the regular aspect of Israelite life, was an aspect that we see birthed in the Passover meal. So it is by no mistake that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, when he sees Jesus coming, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a loaded and beautiful metaphor. Or Peter, when he says this, that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 calls Jesus our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed. And my favorite of them all is John's vision in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 and in chapter 13 when he sees a lamb standing as one who had been slain. The parallels between the Passover and the Lord's table between the events in Exodus and the life of Jesus are so clear and so compelling. Third, Passover's sign was blood. Probably the most important aspect of this meal is what happened with the blood from the sacrificial lamb. Verse 7 tells us that they were instructed to smear some of the blood on the door frame of their houses. If you skip ahead to verse 22, you'll see that they were to take a bunch of hyssop, and hyssop has a, a branch-like quality to it. Uh, so lots of branches, lots of leaves, so you could dip it into um, a bowl and, and use it sort of like a brush. So because of all the branches, it could become like a brush. And they take the hyssop, dip it into the blood, and then spread the, 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 the blood on the doorposts of the house and on the lintel. The idea being that this blood-covered doorway now serves as a marker of this house and the faith of the people in it. So the sign was blood. But the question is, who is the sign for? 
was the sign for God. God knew the hearts of the people inside the house. God didn't need the blood to know who was, in terms of which household really believed his word or not. Who was this blood for? You know who the blood was for? The blood was for the people of Israel. It was designed to make an important connection. A connection between their lives, their own protection, and the blood of another. It wasn't so that God could be informed about who had really put their trust in His Word. It was to remind the people that without the blood of another, there was no protection. They were marked not only by the Passover, but they were marked also by the blood. Parallels to the Lord's Supper, parallels to the New Testament are are so apparent. Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus said this as he's celebrating the Passover, changing it into the Lord's table. He says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus ushers in a new day by virtue of his own blood. And what we celebrate in the Lord's table in redemption is what came through this blood. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So blood marked the people of Exodus, and blood also marks the people who put their faith in Christ. It's the blood that becomes the sign. Next, something you might take for granted, but we need to emphasize that this meal was observed together. Verse 6 makes a statement that you might overlook. It says, The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now this may seem very obvious, but the instructions were very clear. And that after taking this lamb on the tenth day, on the fourteenth day they were to sacrifice it, and every single household that had put their faith in God's word was to sacrifice the lamb at the exact same time. All of them were to do it at the exact same time. So while they were doing it in individual households, they were also doing it collectively and communally together. So there's something about this Passover meal that is more than just individual participation. And certainly there is an individual component. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there was something really beautiful, really glorious. In fact, something that magnifies the glory of God when the people of God are doing things not just individually, but they're doing them collectively and corporately. When we come to celebrate the Lord's table, the Apostle Paul warns us about coming to this table in an overly individualistic manner. And certainly there should be an aspect where you take self-examination time and you think about, where am I at in terms of my relationship with Christ? But the beauty of this moment is that it is something that we do together. You can't celebrate this meal the same way by yourself. There's something beautiful as you look around and you realize I am part of a community of people who have named the name of Christ, that the the banner over all of us is the person and work of Jesus. And while I come to this table individually, it is that I come with a corporate sense of what it means to to be a part of something bigger than myself. This is what it means to be the church. It is that you need the corporate body of believers. I mean, come on, you can probably sing really well by yourself, but you sound a lot better with a backup choir with all of us, right? You can probably pursue Christ by yourself, but you do it a lot better when you've got brothers and sisters speaking into your life. It helps me when brothers and sisters pray over me and pray for me, as my wife did last night. It helps my soul 
When somebody else comes alongside, and this is what the body of Christ, this is what the church is all about. You're sure, the church is a mess. Sure, sure it is. My favorite phrase about the church is the church is a beautiful mess. <laughs> and she is not perfect, but there is something absolutely glorious about being a part of the body of people who know one another and love one another and whose confession of faith is we are blood-bought people who love Jesus and want to follow him with all of our hearts. And when you come to this table, friends, that's what you celebrate. You celebrate not only an individual redemption, but you celebrate a corporate, communal aspect. Passover and the Lord's table are to be observed together. Fifth, after saying all that about it being so corporate, it's also incredibly personal. A very interesting thing to me about the Passover meal is that the sacrificial lamb is not only killed, but it's also eaten in years to come sacrifices will be something more that people will observe they will see from a distance but not this particular memorial verse 8 gives this instruction they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs a couple weeks from now we'll talk about unleavened bread But what I want you to see here is the significance of the linkage between a sacrifice and a meal. Just think of this with me for a moment. The lamb that was used to cover the household in blood now becomes food for every single person in that house. The lamb was sacrificial, but it was also personal. Every person in that house ate the sacrifice. They, they consumed it. And this way, the sacrifice, the Passover lamb became incredibly personal. You didn't watch the sacrifice from a distance. No, you were right there and you consumed it. It was intimate. It was personal. It was close. It was internalized. Understanding this is really important because Jesus said a crazy thing in John chapter 6 that makes no sense unless you get this. Here's what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. What is that? Cannibalism? (laughs) What Jesus is talking about is the symbolism of entering into Him as the Passover meal. It's not just that they're celebrating the Passover. It is that He is the Passover. And so when we come to the Lord's table, it is that we are consuming... These emblems that represent the beauty and the trauma of who the sacrificial lamb of God was, namely Jesus. And what he's saying is this, is that he needs to be internalized. It doesn't mean that eating the bread or drinking this juice now works your salvation out or it now becomes salvific for you or creates redemption. But what it means is this, is that receiving Christ means that he becomes a part of you. He now transforms you from the inside out. You enter not as a spectator. You enter now as a full participant such that now a new spirit controls you, the spirit of the risen Christ. It was personal as this moment is. Sixth, the Passover meal involved a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was sufficient. Verses 9 and 10 give some very clear guidelines as to how the lamb was to be cooked and that nothing was to be left over. In other words, the entire lamb was to be consumed by the people 
or it was to be consumed by the fire. There should be nothing left over. There's a number of reasons for this. In the first case, it probably was so that nothing would be left that would be putrid because you wouldn't want your sacrifice being left over and then stinking. It wouldn't fit the image. Secondly, it also meant that they couldn't take anything with them. No leftovers could be carried along. And Israel will face a real test of faith in that God is the one who's going to provide food for them every single day. They can't take food with them. God is going to be able to be able to provide for their every need. But there's something more here. The lamb was entirely consumed, and in that consumption, it demonstrates the lamb's complete sufficiency. They needed nothing more, and they needed nothing less. All they needed was this lamb, and it was to be entirely consumed. In the same way, The New Testament tells us that Jesus was entirely consumed. He wasn't partially involved in the sacrifice of his own life. He was completely involved. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.1, that he became sin for us. There's a statement of of complete and utter consummation. Completely being consumed. He became sin for us. Hebrews 9 goes even further. It says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves or by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So Jesus' sacrifice is entirely sufficient, and according to what Hebrews tells us, and in the picture of the Passover, there is no need for anything else. That's why the psalmist could say, the Lord is my shepherd and I don't need any other. That's why you can sing, Jesus paid it all. I mean, the mark of this meal is that everything you have centers around the reality of who and what Christ is. Meaning there's nobody else who can cover your sins. And nobody who can do it like He can. It's either Jesus all or Jesus none. There's no in-between. He is completely sufficient. Seventh, Passover meal was eaten in anticipation. Verse 11 gives very specific instructions as to how the meal is to be eaten. It wouldn't be eaten in the normal way that you'd eat a meal in the ancient Near East. I mean, a meal was a huge event. You, 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 you had special clothes on. You'd lay down, recline. It'd be a couple hours in terms of an event. And this isn't like that at all. Verse 11 says, You shall eat it with your belt fastened, the sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This is biblical fast food is what this is. They're they're getting it and they're going. And that's the point of the meal. This is not a destination meal. This is a meal. You're getting this and we're going. This is a we are on our way out. This meal marked the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. And as they ate, they anticipated that there was a future deliverance coming. Is it any wonder that Jesus would say to his disciples at the Passover meal, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's house? He's anticipating another day. Or what did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he, what? Comes. 
So we come to this table and we anticipate there's coming a day when you're going to come back. And it's a reminder that this meal is not simply a a memorial and a reminder, but it is a marker that there is going to come a day when the sky will split and Jesus will come and he will make all things right. And in this meal we say, even so, Lord Jesus, would you come quickly? It's a meal of anticipation. Number eight, it is a meal that celebrated protection from judgment. So the blood on the doorposts saved them from the wrath of God's judgment. The blood gave them safety and it gave them deliverance. I mean, just think of what it would have been like. You're in a home, you put blood on the doorposts, you're eating the sacrificial lamb, and you know, you know that homes all in the area are going to experience death that night. And you, you know that God is coming and death is going to spread across the entire land. And as you're eating, you're anticipating what's going to happen in the morning. Verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Listen, God was coming in judgment, and the only protection that they had from the final plague and from the the death of the firstborn was the faith-applied blood on the doorposts. The, The death of that lamb and its blood on that doorpost became the means by which they were saved from God's judgment. Without the blood, they would have not been spared. And as a result, the Passover celebrated protection through blood. And what were they protected from? They were protected from the judgment of God. Friends, the Lord's Supper celebrates another protection from judgment. It celebrates the shedding of Christ's blood so that we can be made right with a holy God even though we are sinful, and we can be spared the judgment that we would deserve for our sins. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. You don't want to meet God when you aren't covered by the blood of Christ. And in many respects, as God passes over Egypt, He passes over people who are in the blood-covered house, which is Christ. And so it is that the gospel is not just a message that saves you from your sins. In point of fact, it saves you from a holy God. That's who it saves you from. You don't want to meet God in an unredeemed, uncovered, unprotected state. You don't want to be outside the house when the judgment of God comes. The Apostle Paul says this, "...since therefore we now have been justified by His blood, how much more will we be saved by Him from the wrath of of God. You know what the good news, the good news of the Bible, the message of the gospel is this that God has made a way for you to be 
forgiven of your sins, to run into the house, which is Christ, to be able to say, I believe that Christ's death can count for my own, and I am done trying to self-atone and make myself right. I can't do this. I need Christ. Would you come and be my sacrificial lamb? And in that moment, you are reborn. You are regenerated. You become a new creature. And in that moment, you are saved from God. That's who you're saved from. Holy God. Christ saves us from judgment. So the Passover, celebrated protection from judgment. Number nine. It became a memorial memorial for future generations. This meal became a marker so that people would forget. Such life-defining moments warrant remembering So look at verse 24 of Exodus 12. God gives this instruction to Moses, especially about what they need to do when they move into the land of it, the the promised land, because there's a problem. The promised land can, can make you forget. It says this, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land the Lord will give you, as He promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the text says, And the people bowed their heads in worship. You see, when they came to the promised land, they, they were going to receive houses that they didn't build and vineyards that they didn't plant. They're going to be in a land of blessing that they could have never gotten on their own. And it is the tendency of the human heart that when you get all these blessings that you forget that you used to be a slave. And the Passover was meant to drill into the hearts of children and parents this remembrance that you once were slaves of Egypt and God brought you out and everything about your life that you have in terms of blessing didn't come because of you. It only came because God pulled you out of slavery by the blood of a lamb. And when we celebrate this meal, it is a reminder that everything we have, everything we ever hope to be, every blessing we ever receive is all because of a God who loved us with a love that we didn't deserve and bought us with a blood we could have never earned. And friends, we tend to forget this. Oh, you don't forget the fact that Jesus died on the cross. No, that's not. But your affections leak. They do. And we need to be brought back to the central defining mark of our lives and to remember, you know what? What I am at the end of the day, I'm a gospel blood-bought man. That's who I am. Take away everything else, and at the end of the day, what I am, you boil me down to the very core of the essence of my being. It is this, that Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. That's what my life's about. And i got to not forget that and have my mind and heart leak and I need to be reminded. And that's what this memorial meal is all about. A reminder. That's why Jesus said this, do this in remembrance of me. And then the final thing. Verses 28 and 29 is that this was filled with faith. Moses told them what to do, and it took faith to go back to the house and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill a lamb, we're going to put its blood on the doorpost, and that's going to mean we're going to be safe. You can imagine some people said, we're going to do what, and that's going to do what? And the reality is, it took faith to believe. We're going to hear what God says, we're going to do what He says, and we're going to believe that His Word is true. And so this moment... In Israel's history, it was an act of faith. It wasn't just the blood. It wasn't just the sacrifice. It was their belief in what God had said that actually created the safety. 
The applied blood was a sign of applied faith. It means that there is faith all over this Passover meal. The blood was just a symbol. It was a marker that people inside this house believed God's Word and they were having faith in God. They believed it. In the same way, the elements of the Lord's table are merely symbols. The, the bread, the juice, they, they, don't, they don't save. They don't create salvation. They're emblems, though, of what one has put their faith in. Believing that God has told us that He is holy and that we're a sin, we are sinners. And without the sacrifice of Christ, there is no atonement. And has given us promises in His Word that if we put our faith and trust in Him, He not only changes us from the inside out, but He cleanses us from all our sins and that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what do you do? You put your faith in that is what you do. And so when you come to this table, you are reminded that these what these elements symbolize is what I have put my faith in. I believe in Christ. I believe in His death. I believe in His resurrection. I put my faith in Him. And as a result, I believe that I'm safe from judgment. So faith is still involved in this memorial as much as it was involved in the Passover memorial. So these redemptive characteristics between the Passover and the Lord's table, there's so many of them. And they beg us to ask some questions of ourselves. Questions like these. Here's the first one. So have you put your faith in the blood atoning work of Jesus? Or today, are you still searching? And if you're here and you're searching, I'm so glad that you're here. Because this is the most important thing you need to hear and for the rest of your life. It is that you need a Savior and His name is Jesus. And what we celebrate today is all about that central defining reality. I don't care what your past is like or what you've done or how bad you've been. Jesus can change you today. And if you've not come to faith in Christ, don't, don't participate in this. This would, this would be like putting on a wedding band when you're not married. What, what, what sense does that make? Instead, this would be a moment for you to evaluate, so where am I at spiritually? For those of you who know Christ, you've, you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you know what this is for? This is to remind you that this is what you live for. You don't live for all the other stuff. You live for this. This is what's really important. And it means that if you're a dad, you've got to live this gospel out in the context of your home. You've got to love your wife as Christ loved the church because this defines you. If you're a wife, you've got to submit to your husband as to the Lord. If you're a child, you have to obey your parents in the Lord. If you're a worker, you work as unto the Lord. It means that everything about your life is defined by this reality, whether it's work or whether it's drink or whether it's play or whether you're single or married or a senior citizen. Everything about your life is defined by this reality that Jesus paid it all. It also means that if you love this Christ and if you have cherished His atoning work, then you're deeply committed to personal godliness and holiness, that you realize the level to which Christ would go to pay your debt now becomes the basis upon which you serve Him with joy and gratitude and gut-level urgency to say, I'm going to be godly because this is why I've been redeemed. And it also means... That this is a message that you want to come from your lips to people who don't know it because at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than what we celebrate in this Lord's table. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me.
And so let's do that. Let's do this in remembrance by reenactment. Let's remember Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would You help us now to be able to reflect and to remember by reenactment. And as we take these elements, the bread, the juice, would You remind us of the importance of these symbols by virtue of the person that they represent. Would you draw us now individually and corporately together into the special presence of your Spirit. Help us to remember, to reflect, to rejoice as we reenact a portion of the meal that you celebrated with your disciples. We want to do this, Lord, in remembrance of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 13 says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I love you, Couch Park. Thanks for coming today.